Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. As promised, I have uh, brought on the band one, as I like to refer to her now, um, my friend Laura Loomer, who not only has she been banned from Twitter for basically pointing out to the entire country who Ilhan Omar was before she got elected, but now I um, I attempt to to you know to to contribute to Laura's work every single month on PayPal, and I've been having trouble every single month. And I just found out this uh, today that they shot back my money again and said that you're not eligible. What's going on? Yeah, so the reason why I found out is because PayPal banned me. Oh. So now I'm banned from PayPal, and you can't... That's the reason why I got that email. And it was interesting because first I got the email that had indicated that your payment didn't go through. And then I messaged you, if you recall, yeah. and I said, this is weird. And then five minutes later, I get an email from PayPal saying that I had been permanently banned. Uh, and they wouldn't tell me why I was banned. They just said that they were going to terminate my account permanently and that I couldn't appeal it. And, um, you know, then it became a national news story, of course, because right. of, you know, who I am, and I'm, I'm known nationally for my work. And then the PayPal uh, gave a statement to Newsweek magazine, and they basically said that they banned me because my values aren't their values. <laughs> and they, they said that um, they didn't want to uh, allow me to use their platform. And you know, when you when you look at that, they say that their decision was values based. Why does a payment processor company have values? Right. And what values are those when I am banned from using them as a Jewish journalist who is a Trump supporter and I expose jihadis and write about the terror threat in America? But then they allow for CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, which has been uh, found to have supported Hamas. Uh, they were exactly unindicted co-conspirators in the Holy Land trial. I don't think you've got anything uh, like that on your resume. No, I am definitely not in bed with Hamas. Hamas would like to kill me. Uh, so, look, I think that it's pretty egregious that these companies are saying that, um, you know, it's values-based because we all know what that means. We all know what it means. Yeah. And uh, similarly, I've had a lot of friends who have been shut down on these uh, platforms as well. And it's getting out of control. One of my friends, uh, who is a proud boy, he was banned from Chase Bank. So Chase Bank shut his account last week and sent him a letter telling him that he could no longer bank with them. Uh, and they, you know, they falsely accused the, the Proud Boys of being a, a white supremacist organization. But the problem is, is my friend Enrique, who lives in Miami, he's a black Cuban. So how can a black Cuban be a white supremacist? It doesn't make any sense, but this is why they're banning people. So people really need to wake up and pay attention because I don't think a lot of older people really know what's happening in this country and if they're not on social media. But these social media companies and even your banks and even, you know, PayPal, apps like Uber, Lyft, where I'm banned as well, they are now banning people and shutting down people's actual bank accounts, like their personal bank accounts that they do their their businesses with simply because they voted for President Trump or that they're um, you know they're conservative, and mm. we're heading to a point in this country where uh, you know I, I fear are we going to reach a day where 
the telephone company or the water company or the, the cable company or the electricity company says, we're doing a survey of everybody who voted for President Trump or everybody who's a registered Republican. You have 24 hours uh, to, to get all your stuff and, and move out because we're no longer going to provide you with electricity or water or cable. We're, we're, we're going to ban all Trump supporters from the grocery store. I mean, this is where we're headed. And people may say it sounds crazy, but if I told you 10 years ago that banks would be banning people based off their, uh, their political preference, uh, 10 years from now, you would think I was crazy. But look, here we are today, and banks are the lo- one of the largest banks in America, Chase Bank, right. is shutting people down because they voted for President Trump. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm fearful of, you know, things like hospitals refusing entrance. I mean, you're, you're better off being an illegal immigrant in this country than being a, a, a you know, a conservative pundit, it seems. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where we're at right now. And, you know, it's um, well, it's crippling. It's, it's what are you What are you doing? I mean, it's absolutely crippling. I mean, these are the ways that you've been able to sustain your work. How, what are you going to do now? Well, it's been hard. You know, I'm in debt. I have $40,000 of credit card debt now because I've had to pay for everything on credit cards because it's very difficult to make an income and then also, like, take other things into account, like legal defense and, uh, you know, my bills, my production fees. And so in order to keep all of these things going in my life and to pay for it all, I've had to take out credit cards. And, um, you know, I worry about it every day because they're shutting me down everywhere and there's no reason for me to be banned. And the, the thing that I find to be extremely egregious about this is I was banned from Twitter because of my investigation into Ilhan Omar. They said that it was hate, hate speech that I said that this woman was anti-Jewish and pro-Sharia. Well, everybody in the country, including Nancy Pelosi, has now said Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite because <laughs> of her disgusting comments on Twitter. And there was, you know, an official letter posted by Nancy Pelosi in which she asked Ilhan Omar, who is now the first Muslim woman elected to Congress, a Somali immigrant who hates Trump, uh, to apologize for her anti-Semitism. And we know that she's pro-Sharia because she wrote a letter to a judge advocating for ISIS terrorists in Minnesota to have their sentencing uh, reduced out of compassion as a form of restorative justice, whatever the hell that means. Mm -hmm. And so everything I said is true. Right. And I backed it up. And this is why um, I was banned. And then the Wall Street Journal reported that uh, CARE, which, as we already went over, uh, were co-conspirators in in this country's largest terrorism trial, uh, were responsible for my ban from Twitter. And so they actually requested a meeting with Twitter and asked to have me banned. And they're on the record uh, bragging about this to the Wall Street Journal. And so I was essentially banned from having a voice and making an income in America because a terrorist organization doesn't like the fact that I effectively expose terror-tied individuals in America. Yeah, well, it's not surprising that they went after you. What is surprising is that there aren't a number of other conservative voices defending you, with the exception of, uh, I think I saw Michelle Malkin last night, um, who was livid about it and and talking about it, and maybe me and Ann and a couple of other people. People are staying notoriously quiet, not uh, not inviting you on their programs to talk about this, and, uh, you know, that sickens me. 
Yeah, I mean, it really sucks, especially because everybody's stealing my content now. And, right. you know, Michelle Malkin is wonderful. Anne is wonderful, too. But it really pisses me off because, you know, last year when I was coming on your program and telling people about this, do you remember when you had me on the show and I told you that I was investigating a woman who married a brother? Right. And you were like, no, come on, that sounds crazy. You remember this. Oh, yeah. Well, now, now everybody who ignored me and said I was a conspiracy theorist and that I was an anti-Muslim white supremacist for bringing this up last year is trying to say, oh, my God, she married her brother. She's anti-Jewish. She has ties to terrorist organizations. And it's like, why didn't you listen to me, you know, yeah. seven, eight months ago when I was blowing the whistle on this on the ground in Minnesota? Why didn't you listen to me when I was begging you people from the top of my lungs to report on this but now all these people not only did they ignore the news story and cover up for these two muslim women but they're now acting like i don't exist mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's out of animosity if it's out of jealousy or a fear of themselves being banned but it's terrible i think what is happening to me and i don't want to put you know just say oh i'm a victim i'm a victim i'm a victim but i kind of am in this sense mm -hmm. that i have been treated very um you know, unfairly, and, you know, it just goes beyond, oh, this is such unfair treatment. I mean, this is criminal, what is happening in this country, and I would expect people with much more money and much more resources and power than I have as a 25-year-old independent journalist uh, to be really uh, speaking out about this. Like, I would really love it if, if Ron DeSantis and Matt Gates would do something about this, and I reached out to Matt Gates and never heard back from him, mm -hmm. and, you know, I thought this is what they were all about, but... Um, you know, nobody mm. seems to really want to help me. So maybe someday they'll get back to me because I kind of need some help here. Yeah, for sure. Now tell people what they can do now if they want to support your efforts, where they can, um, you know, g get a hold of you or send money. What's what's the best method? Well, you can go to my website, lauralumer.us, and subscribe. And then there's a button on there where you can donate. Uh, you're either going to have to send a check to my P.O. box or... Uh, the new platform I'm using is called Rev. So it's loomer.rev, that's with two Vs, uh, .co. And you can go to my website. But uh, in the meantime, who knows where I'll be banned next. So just please make sure you subscribe on my website and get my, my email updates uh, because I plan on fighting this. And uh, I'm going to keep on doing my journalism no matter who threatens me or tries to sabotage me and silence me because I'm not going to go down without a fight. And... Uh, a lot of other people have kind of accepted their bans and have been very passive about it, but I'm not one of those people. And no, you're not. Since the time you've known me, I'm not passive, and I don't let people walk all over me. And so, you know, I, uh, yeah. I'm going to keep on fighting that. All right, and we're going to support your work. You know I will. Thanks, Laura. Always appreciate talking yeah. to you. And, uh, you know, call call in anytime you have something you want to share. Uh, at least I can offer you South Florida. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Joyce. All I right. appreciate it. Have All right. Day. Laura Loomer. Go to the website, lauraloomer.us. We'll be right back. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional, sir, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. Whatever discombobulated show this has been with the president and his uh, 
endless press conference uh, where he basically did exactly what I didn't want him to do. But that's uh, that's neither here nor there. I do have a special interview right now, someone who I enjoy speaking with uh, anyway. But now with the new book, Obstruction of Justice, How the Deep State Risked National Security to Protect the Democrats, Luke Rosiak is uh, making a book tour, doing a book tour. I didn't think I'd be able to get you on. How are you? Great to be here, Joyce. Always a pleasure. And um, you certainly have been following this story, particularly when it comes to our Congresswoman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and the deep state, uh, long before everybody else who have now jumped in on this bandwagon. What's the book uh, really all about? Well, this started as a story about a hack on Congress by this Pakistani guy, Imran Awan, who was the IT guy for Debbie Wasserman Schultz. But Mm -hmm. as I pursued this over the last two years and I saw, well, why isn't the FBI doing anything about this? Are they incompetent? I looked into it further. No, they're not incompetent. They knew from the beginning they were working with Nancy Pelosi and with Wasserman Schultz, and they were rigging a case. So it's, it's really now this is a book about our justice system and how they manipulate us and uh so it follows this story that you said you know you you hear about once in a while but really it's a story most people don't know about um and this is kind of a lens into the deep states when we see like today andy mccabe doing like a coup against president trump that's exactly right they've been doing this in multiple ways for the last two years and so one of the ones that really was most successfully concealed is at the same time they're building the russian narrative about the dnc hack they know there's a simultaneous pakistani hack in congress and it turns out that there's a really dramatic and concerted and pretty elaborate effort by democrats to conceal that at the expense of national security so they could talk about russia 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 yeah and and you know what's amazing to me is that people are still um doubting this in spite of some of the worst players guys like Andy McKay pretty much confessing now. Yeah, absolutely and um you know the media gladly goes along with uh, a lot of things, you know, they say oh the FBI confirmed this or that or the DOJ said this or that. And that's kind of what it comes down to, is the Democrats rig it upstream so that the DOJ does their bidding, and then the media just writes down what the DOJ says, because we don't have a very aggressive uh, you know, uh, media anymore in terms of actually looking at the evidence. And so this is a book that reads like a novel. It's just a, such a completely insane story. And when you read it, it, it's written with such detail that you really can't argue with it. And then you compare it to what the Washington Post told you, and you compare it to what the DOJ's told you, and you're just like, my God, who can we trust anymore? Well, it's a huge cover-up, and I guess, you know, um, every time I speak with you or every time we have an opportunity to hear even more, um, I am stunned that that the government is in basically in collusion with the media to cover up stories that the American people have a right to know about. I mean, when I think of uh, our own Congresswoman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and all of the lying that she's done and all of the um, accusing everybody else of, you know, duplicitous behavior when she all the while has been, uh, you know, a conspirator in this. Absolutely. And so, of course, the DNC is hatched. She's head of it. She's fired. A month later, her own IT guy is caught hacking Congress. She knows it. And she starts defending him. And, you know, we talked last time I was on, probably about a year ago, uh, this came out. You know, remember the 
basically, so the guy sneaks into her office building, takes her laptop, and plants it in a phone booth at midnight. Mm -hmm. The police find it. She threatens the police on video, uh, which is really obstruction of justice. She's threatening to take their funding away if they don't drop the case against him. Um, and so it turns out that she's claimed she's protecting this guy extraordinarily. And she says, oh, he's being persecuted. I'm going to be his advocate. Um, why would you protect an accused hacker if you were just if you were in her position? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that comes out in the book is she spent a hundred and more than a hundred thousand dollars of her own money hiring a lawyer to make sure that investigators couldn't find out what was going on. That was the bulk of her life savings. She prepared. She was prepared to wipe out. And actually, what happened is since she couldn't pay it, the law firm waived their fees and gave it as a gift to her personally. So Debbie Wasserman Schultz receives a $100,000 gift from a corporation, which is a law firm, to descend, to, to basically block an invest, block a hacking investigation. And that's, you know, that's normally would be an ethics violation. And the only way that it's not an ethics violation is if her buddy Ted Deutsch, also from Florida and also tied up mm -hmm. in New Orleans, he's the head of the ethics committee. So there's like really abnormal things. I mean, the, the lengths that Wasserman Schultz went, hiring all these lawyers, threatening the cops why would you not want the fbi why would you not want the evidence examined why would she be protecting a hacker and that's exactly what what happened yeah and you know it's amazing to me luke and i give you credit for just sticking with stories um so many of the people that emerge as uh, news stories um i first heard about from you like i never knew who uh, virginia governor ralph northam was until i think you wrote an article a month or so ago about him and uh, he was trying to repeal some voters legislation uh, and and i said who is this guy ralph northam and the next thing i know he's the uh, top news item and you were the first person to talk about brenda snipes the election supervisor that the governor uh, suspended i mean you know what is it that you just you you have a nose for the news i guess <laughs> a lot of this stuff is kind of, uh, I mean, the media is really, you know, this Twitter attention, it's kind of, you know, ADDH where a lot of people don't have a lot of time. And uh, this Awan thing was kind of complicated, and they, the Democrats used that to deflect. But this is a case where um, his wife comes forward in the book and mm. says he was a mole in Congress. Imran Awan's wife comes forward, mm. and she says he's a mole in Congress, he's a blackmailer, um, he was using the data that he had to make sure that he couldn't be prosecuted. And so she says this to the FBI, and then she's shot at. Mm. And so uh, he starts blackmailing her then with the sex tape. Mm. And says, I'm going to release this sex tape in, in Pakistan, and you're going to be shunned from society. So she has to make a choice. You know, is she going to come forward, or is she going to give in to this blackmail? She comes forward to the FBI, uh, and the FBI, you know, refuses to accept evidence from her, and they actually physically prevent her from going to court, where she could tell the judge that. And then they, they put out this statement saying, oh, Imran, Imran, he didn't have Congress, he's not a blackmailer, blah, blah, blah. His own wife, he admitted it to his own wife. And so this is, like, really an extraordinary story. It's cloak and dagger stuff. It's everything that the Robert Mueller probe was supposed to be with Russia, mm. you know, with hacking and foreign meddling, and there's just the, the amount of crazy stuff going on in this story. It truly is like James Bond. Um, but, you know, and so the wife eventually comes to me, and as did several other witnesses who, they went to the FBI, they realized the FBI is, is, is in on it. They're protecting the suspect. Uh, and so then some of these people came, came to me, and that includes his, his stepmom as well, who's holding in captivity. Mm. My goodness, and you, you're watching all of this unfold. The Democrat Party has some serious issues now when it comes to what I would consider loyalty to this country. I mean, we've got people sitting in Congress who are not just anti-Semitic, but they're anti-American. 
Yeah, and it's wild, the tribalism, right? I mean, they'll defend anything if you just kind of kind of hunker down into, first of all, you can do whatever you want, and then if you just say something about Trump, uh, everyone, all the Democrats will rally to your side. Mm-hmm. And so here you have this guy, Imran Awan, who's a, a, a Pakistani hacker who keeps women as slaves. He's married to two women under Sharia law in Virginia. He's clearly committing tax fraud. He's actually paying, you know, Democrats don't like police brutality. Imran Awan was paying the police in Pakistan to rape his enemies. He is truly a sick sociopath. Mm. And this is the guy that Debbie Wasserman Schultz ha- has lunch with every week and actually he comes and meets with her once a week and she rides his horse her daughter rides his rides a horse that he like keeps for her. like they're close friends mm. and you know this is just absolutely completely insane stuff that's going on uh and you know the idea that we're going to hear about russia all the time and this is a non-story we, really we're truly living in a world that um there's a chapter called The Puppeteer in this book, and you really see how the Democrats are able to manipulate those those levers of power Mm -hmm. um, for what we hear about it and what what becomes a story, and it's all part of this kind of, uh, it turns out, elaborate campaign to take down uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm going to say is I'm going to get copies of this book for all of my elected representatives, including Peter Deutsch or Ted Deutsch, whatever his name is. I always confuse him. He's, he happens to be my congressman, no less, but I've never been invited to uh, any town hall meetings or anything for obvious reasons. But um, they should have to read this. They should have to face the whole Awan affair and understand that the American public um, does have a handful of reporters out there, these investigative reporters like you, who are going to spill the beans and and they are going to provide the proof i mean the book is filled with factual information and it's sourced and everything else so how are they going to deny it exactly that's all they've been able to do so far is ignore it because as you said if you read this book it's going to you know blow your mind there's really nothing they can say charlie chris put this guy on his payroll after he was an accused hacker mm. um you know, these are people that are pretending they care about hacking. We, they, they pretend they care about Russia and the DNC and all that stuff. They're just completely negligent at best and, and wildly corrupt at, wor- at worst. Do you believe that it's uh, just as uh, uh, as bad on the other side of the aisle, the Republican Party? Because, I mean, obviously, they're not pay- paying close attention to this either. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the book, actually, I say the Republicans come across worse in this book than the Democrats do because the Democrats are scheming Machiavellian backstabbers, but hey, at least they're good at it. Right. Uh, the Republicans are just kind of phoning it in and they're kind of naive and they're very fearful. And so the book documents, and this is why I call it the deep, this is what I think is, makes this book such an interesting study of the deep state, is the Democrats are, the Republicans are in charge of the House when this hack occurs. Right. And the Democrats manage to get their way anyway. And to me, that's the deep state. It's people who are unelected, who are not in power, and they're able to pull the levers of the bureaucracy. And so this is really a case study in how the deep state works. And it, you can watch Nancy Pelosi's staff and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and how they manipulate the Republicans. And sometimes they're threatening them, and sometimes they're trying to basically co-opt them by, you know, in some cases, for example, they just blame them. And they say, hey, you guys were in charge of the House, Paul Ryan, why didn't you stop this? This is so bad, you're going to be embarrassed if you don't make this go away. And so they create this dynamic where you've got this elite class of insiders in Washington who all want to keep their jobs, and when something embarrassing happens, it kind of reflects poorly on all of them, and the easiest thing to do is just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, and if you've got the media, uh, the vast majority of the media willing to cover up and, and, and tell the story the way you want it told, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to expose anything. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, I certainly, as I said before, I'm going to get a couple of copies of this uh, book. I'm going to make sure that uh, my senators get it as well. Bill, um, I almost said Bill Nelson, <laughs> Marco Rubio, and um, and the new former governor Rick Scott. Uh, because I, I, look, I think some of these guys are very naive when it comes to the the levels to which these Democrats will stoop to protect their power. Absolutely. And if the shoe were on the other foot, I mean, the Democrats never would have uh, treated, they never would have been so accommodating as the Republicans were in this case. You can see that, by the way, Adam Schiff is expanding his investigation of a nothing story, of a nothing burger. Anyway, Luke, thank you so much. Good luck with the book, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you, George. All right. You can get the book on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Nobles. You can just get it. Um, it's going to be a bestseller. And if we make this book a bestseller, then CBS and NBC and uh, all those stations are going to be forced to face their complicity in this scandal. Welcome back. Joyce Kaufman with you. And I, I'm, I'm really just trying not to uh, pay attention to this bill. I will spend the weekend dissecting all the poison pills in it and, and be furious on Monday. So you can look forward to that. But I, I just can't talk about it. It's Friday and I'm burnt out. Um, I, I really uh, am enjoying watching de Blasio and uh, Cuomo um, reeling under the fact that uh, AOC and her troops uh, literally pushed Amazon out of New York City. Now, I don't know if many of you remember, but when the story first broke that they were going to build their secondary headquarters in Long Island City, I got like all upset because I used to have an apartment in Long Island City in a co-op at the time. Um, it, it, and I, I said, if I had hung on to this, it's, you know, be worth millions of dollars now because you can have all these silicon like um you know young kids looking for places to live it was a beautiful apartment a one-bedroom apartment in uh um Queensview, and it was just you know couldn't have been a better location and uh and now they're not going to move there so um when i first started talking about it i called up a couple of my friends who still have apartments there some of them still actually live there uh, or are renting out the apartments that they uh, lived in or grew up in and they had made all these improvements and they were listed everybody had their apartments on the market and now guess what they are not not going to be sold and they're certainly not going to be sold for the enormous amounts of money that they were hoping they would be sold for and that's why you have to be careful when you hear these stories and i'm i'm as guilty as anybody else we all are looking for that get rich quick uh, scheme and if if it's got something to do with uh, jeff bezos and amazon or google or anybody else we want to jump right in not really knowing uh, what's going to come to pass so i feel sorry well, i don't i don't actually feel sorry because one of the people who uh, was you know hoping to make a fortune on it already has made many fortunes and uh has basically cut me out of their life anyway so you know oh well maybe uh you know karma is what they say it is and it's not always easy um it's not always as easy. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you'll get what you need. Unfortunately, that is the song that the president uses at his rallies, and uh, I'd like to say those words to him right now. Can't always get what you want. I certainly didn't. I hope that instead what I did get was what I need. Stay where you are. We'll be back in just a few moments. Uh, maybe, Derek, maybe not. 
but we are going to talk about Jesse Smollett. So welcome back. If I'm going to spend time promoting Luke Rosiak's book, which, by the way, I think everybody should read. It's awesome. I am definitely going to spend some time promoting my colleague Karen Curtis's book, which is also awesome. I'm halfway through it, but the only reason I didn't finish it was I went to see Andrea Bocelli last oh, night. Oh, well, that's a good yeah. reason. Yeah, it was, and his son sang, so it was like heavenly. It's like it's not war and peace, so you can get through it. In fact, Bill brought it home uh, Tuesday at noon, and his wife had finished it by 5. Oh, because she must read like me. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's pictures and information in there that have never been seen before. Well, tell the story because, I mean, most people will be familiar enough with the story because of the Jodie Foster movie. Correct. The Accused. Right. So there's always a South Florida connection, as you know. Mm -hmm. But when the movie The Accused came out, if you <laughs> asked anybody, well, what happened to the real life girl that was gang raped on the pool table in New Bedford that this is based on? And they go, I don't know. Well, in the movie, it was a pinball machine, wasn't right, it? Right, yeah. for legal purposes. Well, she died in an accident in South Florida. Her two daughters were in a car with her. And they did not die. No, I found them years later. Um, but she was dead. And so she was, the gang rape happened in 1983 in New Bedford. Mm -hmm. It was her. Carrie's third birthday that night and she went to buy a pack, pack of, of cigarettes, cigarettes right mm -hmm. and she the store was closed so she went into Big Dan's bought the cigarettes and then now was Big Dan's known as a place where the Portuguese mob hung out Yeah, very very seedy okay. very seedy bar mm -hmm. and they're like what is this woman doing she was asking for it the gang raped her for two hours while there were people the bartender kept serving drinks people were in the bar the the scene in the movie the accused lasts two minutes and it was like huge groundbreaking rape scene in a movie right this lasted in reality it'd be the whole movie mm. if they, they did it correctly mm. so there were six men that were charged and um she had to they didn't all get convicted though did no they? she had to testify in two separate trials which cnn carried so kids were coming home from school unedited you know oh, really orals, so uh, this the was the beginning thing. of uh yes televised yeah she changed how rape trials and cameras in the courtroom everything she's like the me too poster child wow so um four of them were convicted they all got about six years that's Can you crazy imagine that for two hours so and they were all portuguese immigrants so mm -hmm. didn't have the green cards didn't speak english and so the portuguese mob there were like ten thousand people marching in the streets portuguese people because they felt that they were getting a bad rap for this whole thing and talk radio at the time were impugning her saying she was a whore and she deserved it and she should be hung you know and so there was just so many different not like they did the tawana brawley case huh no I mean, in terms of Me Too, she just totally... So right after the trials, uh, Vir, um, Virgil Medeiros was one of them that was acquitted. And he pointed his finger right at the CNN camera and said, I'm going to get that bitch. Hmm. So about three nights later, the state attorney called her and said, we're giving you $500. You and your family have to get out of Massachusetts because of death threats. 500 bucks a week, could they go like to the border? <laughs> they they drove down to South Florida to... Oh, of course. Her, she, she wasn't married to Michael, but her, the two children, he's the father. Okay. And so they went to his parents' mobile home park in Southwest Miami-Dade. And she had a book and movie deal. 
she was trying to write a book. But mind you, she's like they had no money. There was no phone in in their trailer. It's a trailer park, uh, so she'd have to go to the trailer office and call the woman in L.A. and you know tell her about the book. And uh, she did have an attorney that set up this whole thing. I think she got a couple thousand bucks for it. <laughs> so, so meanwhile, uh, she is taking the girls out for a ride to go to Santa's Enchanted Forest in that December after they moved down, and um, they get in an accident. And that's what really the book is about. Because I was a traffic reporter, as you know, okay. and I got the FHP report. I got the photos from the crash scene. Um, what happened was Carrie was uh, six at the time and the little Jessica was three. And they told FHP that someone ran mommy off the road. Oof. And it's in the report. Right. I have it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the photos and everything are just whatever. They're in the book. You'll see it. And then I got the autopsy. How the kids survived is amazing. It kind of, the car kind of like did a... A fortune cookie around a big cement right. pole. Mm-hmm. And they said it was a single car accident, but the kids said, no, someone ran her off the road. Mm-hmm. And it was raining. And this was. They a- said she was drunk, too. Well, then 10 days after the autopsy, which they had just had kale soup, which is soup for the poor, for the Portuguese, because she's part Portuguese, by the way. Right, right. The, the, I talked to the medical examiner. She said, I smelled the green leafy kale in her stomach. Well, if she's got a. alcohol level how are you smelling kale and not alcohol that came out 10 days after the report there was nothing in the autopsy that said alcohol there was nothing in the FHP report I spoke to Lieutenant Cole he was the FHP trooper that responded to the scene he didn't smell alcohol the paramedics who worked on her didn't smell alcohol because she was alive initially right and her, you know, it was a, you'll see the photo. But anyway, uh, so the alcohol, it kind of killed the story that, you know, once it, they found out in Boston that she was dead and then they found out that blood alcohol level, it just kind of died. So by the, with her. So by the time the movie came out in 88, she died in 86, no one knew she was dead. Really? Yes. So the movie then had to change a few things. And it was, she was raped on a pinball machine, not a pool table. And it was more about the accused not about her and she right, was a was single the woman there were no they, children they, yeah no portuguese that thing and so what happened in terms of massachusetts it got a black eye with this whole thing uh there was a 10 year old kid in rhode island that raped a girl on a pool table because he was coming home from school watching the cnn court case oh, i mean there's just so many things that happened and then there was a senate judiciary committee hearing with Ted Kennedy, who is the senator of Massachusetts, who did not extend any helping hand to this woman whatsoever. There was no Cheryl Arujo Rape Act. Uh, You know, there was at that time the, you know, the rape, uh, what is it, the rape uh, um, victims? No, no, the where they protect them uh, from shield, shield, shield. Mm -hmm. That shield law hadn't been passed yet, Mm -hmm. but they didn't show her face on CNN. Oh, they, they put a cap over the lens. So then when when Ted Kennedy was down here in Palm Beach with William Kennedy Smith and that whole rape trial, there was a blue dot over Patty Bowman's face. So right. things changed. Right, and right. the book goes through all of these things and how Cheryl changed the way rape trials were covered and then eventually the Me Too movement. But You wrote this book over a long period of time. When did you first start it? I started in 2006, and that's when I went up to New Bedford. I mean, I had to find these daughters. They were 26 and 23 at the time. Mm-hmm. No phone. I, one of them wrote a bad check. I, f- I found her. She was working at Gino's Pizza. 
I have the recording of our interview. And then I talked to Jessica. She was out in the street. That's the youngest daughter with a baby on her hip. Both the girls not married with children, just like her, just like Cheryl. They're kind of repeating the past. Mm-hmm. They didn't get a cent from the $83 million that the movie The Accused really? made. Not a dime. That won an Academy Award for Jodie Foster. Not a dime. So part of my book is going to those daughters. Mm-hmm. And I told them that when I interviewed them. And I found her mom. Arlene, and she told me that she was standing in the kitchen a couple days after the Big Dan rape, and Cheryl walked in, and she said, isn't it awful what happened to that girl? And Cheryl said, Mom, that was me. Oh, wow. The mother didn't even know. Hmm. And the mother's still alive? Yeah. Well, she was when I found her in 2006. Wow. What a story. So what what made you just stick to this story? I mean, most of us hear this stuff, and it just passes through. Well, I had, you know, it's kind of interesting. I had my own story happening over these last 10 years where I went through things that were similar to what she was going through. And uh, for some reason, I was able to keep all of my research together through everything, through thick and thin. And I had done enough work on it that once I revisited it, it was it just came together. And the timing is perfect in terms of Me Too. Right. In terms of, of true crime. You know, in terms of other things had to happen for me to be able to put it all together mm-hmm. and have the perspective that I have now. Very Because when I was on top of it in 2006, I wasn't seeing it. I actually sent out query letters to book agents, and they'd send me back the query letter with my check uncashed. Right. We're not interested. Yeah. We're not interested. Yeah. So it was like Beatrice Potter published her own book, Peter Rabbit. He's like, Absolutely. I just took care of it myself. Because mm-hmm. you know what? It, this story has to be told regardless. It's right. all factual. And, and you know, Savage uh, told me that a long time ago. Like, nobody wanted to publish his first books of uh, health and fitness and everything. And and he just went ahead and did it. And yeah. now there isn't a, you know, Simon & Schuster wants everything he writes, you know. Well, really, Hollywood didn't want to tell the true story back then. Right. And definitely. They're not going to want to tell it now, maybe. But you can certainly, there's all these um, well, TV programs, crime, true crime, and I mean, they're, and they're very watched. This is the perfect script for something like that, or cold case, whatever. Well, and also remember the uh, FHP case where the two kids were driving up to Boca to FAU, the two black uh, boys in the Kia, and they were hit head on by the FBI agent. Right. And they said the two black kids were at fault. Mm-hmm. And then later they found a, one, a reporter at SVN found blood from the FBI agent had been taken in the hospital and then they determined he was drunk. That's part of the book too because it explains how the FHP has to wrap up cases really quickly and they can't really investigate them. It's just more for, you know, Especially paperwork. if there's no call for it. Right. You know, people want to accept the uh, initial conclusion. Well, they're not going to call for If a six-year-old says someone ran her off the road, she's six and, the, and no one came forward when the accident happened. So there's so many things that happen. And even Lieutenant Cole goes, I think something, something happened. She could have been murdered. Mm-hmm. Even these people agree at this, to this day that she could have been murdered. But when that blood alcohol came back, you know. Well, maybe they'll reopen, you know, the case. Uh, you know, somebody will get a hold of this book and say, we look pretty bad. Maybe we ought to check this out. And maybe what if something happens to me, you'll know. <laughs> no, nothing's going to happen to you. I, I don't even know if there's still a Portuguese mob. You know? I don't know. Yeah, no. that's a good question. But if you are interested in the book, the accuserbook.com is my website. You can order it there. You can order it on Amazon. Just type in the accuser Curtis. And it'll come up because, yeah. Karen Curtis, that's what she 
yeah. is trying to say. Yeah. yeah. And and get it. Support her work. Some of the money, some of the proceeds are going to end up in the hands of the family, which is always, uh, to me, another reason to, to buy the book. Absolutely. I dedicated the book to her beloved daughters, and it's for every mother that loves her daughters. The book starts out with that. She Right before the accident, the entire time they were in the car, she just kept telling the girls how much she loved them. Mm. Heartbreaking, and the, there are so many stories like that. Well, good luck, Karen. Thank I mean, you. Uh, everybody in the place who's read it, uh, some people have read it already, and others are grabbing. Somebody asked me if they could borrow my copy. I said, "Go ask Karen. I you have, pay yeah. her, buy her one." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah, I'm flattered, and I just my daughter said, "You know what? Even if it doesn't sell, it's an accomplishment that you published." Oh, it. it's a huge accomplishment, and it will sell. It's the perfect time for this kind of book, and I think the hardest thing to write is nonfiction, personally. Yeah, I was trying to do the in cold blood kind of thing, but then I also had to. So it's kind of my own com compilation and way of telling the story. It might be you, a little. You weird. write very well. What did I tell you, Hobo? I said the first thing that I noticed was your writing style is oh, extraordinary. I really, I don't know because it's my first book. So Man. I'm I I write news. I just tell stories with simple sentences. Yeah, two sentences in. No, sound but you, it's not like a newscast. It's okay. you. You did even that opening paragraph. I was stunned. I said, "Whoa!" Oh, really? Aaron wrote this. Thank you, baby. Yes, it's. Very good. So everybody go get it. The Accuser. Um, and just type into Amazon, The Accuser, Karen Curtis, and it'll come up. Uh, order it. All Thank right. you. Thank good you. luck to you. Thank no you. problem. You. All, right. All right. We got to take a quick break. We'll uh, wrap this up and then finish this week on uh, The Joyce Kaufman Show. Everybody admits TMZ is now breaking more stories than the big news organizations. Now, here is one of TMZ's attorneys and stand-up comics, Derek Kaufman. Yes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. On News Talk 850 WFTL. All right, we don't have much time, but I wanted to check in with my son Derek because, of course, the Jesse Smollett story looks like it's beginning to unravel with the two Nigerian suspects. What are you guys hearing? Wow. So this, this story has taken a, a, a seriously strange uh, turn. Everything is fluid. I want to preface with saying this is a developing story, but here's what we know at this point. So Jesse's story, is it's just not tracking in certain key ways. So the two men in the surveillance photo that are just these two silhouettes have now been identified as these two Nigerian men <clears throat> excuse me, who were picked up at O'Hare Airport and used to be extras on Empire. Um, it's unclear whether Jesse knows them, but there are reports out there that he does know these two men. And the reason it, it, it muddies up his story is he said that the two people who attacked him were white. Mm -hmm. They're two Nigerian uh, men who are both black. And he also said that the attackers uh, yelled something like, this is MAGA country, when they attacked him. Right. Um, now, look, it's cold out. They were apparently wearing ski masks. I suppose you could have a mistake being made, but things are getting very, very strange at this point. Yeah, they really are. And if you remember, and I shared with the audience, I, I got to you off the air that day, and I said, Derek, there's something about this story that just doesn't ring true. You know, somebody remains behind in the apartment, and he goes out for a sandwich, he never relinquishes the sandwich. He gets beat up and he's still holding on to his Subway sandwich. I mean, you know, this could be an ad for Subway. Yeah, I mean, this is, it, it's it's strange, too. And remember, there, the, the footage doesn't uh, capture, you know, the attack because it's a dome camera and it was facing in the other direction. So we've never actually seen the attack. We do know that he suffered some injuries. That much is clear. He had a scrape on his face and a broken rib. Uh, that hasn't been debunked. But, but how that happened is now being called into question. I mean, frankly, it's just... 
it, it's 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 very very strange at this point. It really is, and I, you know the the rumors are circulating that there was some question as to whether he's going to continue on with the series. Now the network has denied that. Um, that they were going to remove him from the series, but you and I both know this business, and you know if you get wind of something happening to your gig, uh, I wouldn't put it past anybody to try and save themselves. Yeah, you know, I, we'll have to see how that de- develops because you're right. The, the the show has come out, and um, some writers from the show have said that's that's ridiculous. He wasn't being written out. He's a big big feature on the show, but. Everything is, is, is up in the air now because when one part of a story sort of falls apart, you mm-hmm. start to call into question all the parts of the story. And the, the idea that um, two Nigerian men who, who, you know, Donald Trump has allegedly or reportedly called Nigeria some unsavory things in the past, the yes. idea that those two men would shout, this is MAGA country, doesn't seem to <laughs> doesn't make much sense at all. That's for sure. They're trying to cover it up, but then we're in then we're in wacky world. Yeah, well, we're in wacky world. But then you start to get into wacky conspiracy theories after that. That's true, but we're in wacky world nonetheless. So um, one final thing, you said there was a new R. Kelly story. Apparently a lot of videos come out and it's not good for him. My goodness. So, yeah, that was a bombshell report. Uh, Michael Avenatti represents some of uh, the women who have made allegations of sexual assault against R. Kelly and uh, says he has a video. He says he has a video of R. Kelly engaged in um, sexual activities with an underage girl who apparently in the video uh, references the fact that she's underage in some uh, pretty disturbing ways. So, this is not the same video that it was the subject of the of the criminal case against him years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, this is apparently an entirely new video, and the walls are kind of closing in because Avenatti says this video is not old enough to be outside of the statute of limitations. So you could see that case uh, start to pick up quickly. Unfortunately, anytime you say the name Avenatti, the case begins to unravel as well. So we'll see. <laughs> you know, he's, he's batting about yeah, zero. You know, it, yeah, well, you know, so we 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 uh, covered the news story, but just just to be clear, this is something that Michael Avenatti is saying that he has, and, right. and we haven't ind- independently seen the video or anything like that. One question, and then I'll let you go. Did Jesse Smollett call you before he called the police? Not to my knowledge. Oh, okay, because there was a story out that he called TMZ before he called the police. Uh, not to my, not to my knowledge. Okay. No, All right. um, I don't think that that story is true, and I think. Actually, there's a there's a blog that that's first sort of hit upon this story. It's a smaller blog called ThatGreatJuice.net that has 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 uh, taken some of the lead of this this story. So, all right. Well, no, thank I you. Have a you. have a great weekend. Love you. All right. Have all a good right. weekend. Bye. Take guys. care. Bye bye. All right. Thank you for your time this time. Until next time, I'll be back on Monday at 10 a.m. Don't forget my new time, 10 a.m. If it be His will, and He delays His coming. God bless America. Mm-hmm.